Exodus 18 contains two stories about Moses' father-in-law coming to visit. Just random family stories. There aren't any other family stories stuck in Exodus except the one at the beginning about Jochebed putting her baby in the basket, the the ark of bulrushes. But here suddenly we have Moses' interview with his father-in-law. And this is rightly the hinge of Exodus as the people move from the wilderness, from the being brought out of Egypt and transitioned to Mount Sinai, which they do over the course of the next chapter. How does Jethro's visit relate to those two things? And the answer is the two stories about Jethro exemplify the two major themes, one of the first half of Exodus, the other of the second half. The first half of Exodus is about deliverance. The first story about Jethro is about how Jethro becomes a believer. Jethro is delivered from his pagan Midianite ways. So we have deliverance with Jethro being delivered, which is like all of Israel being delivered in the Exodus. Then the second story is about Jethro's advice, how to set up the people so they're ready to hear the law of God, how to create a legal structure a quasi-state for the people of God. And that relates to dwelling. How can God's people be ready for God to dwell with them if they're not ready to implement his laws, which they won't be without the structure that Jethro proposes. And then the second half of Exodus chapters 20 through 40 are all about dwelling. They're all instructions for how to build the tabernacle the dwelling place of God with his people. So we have the deliverance. Jethro gets delivered. We have the dwelling. Jethro says, here's how you can be ready to receive the law. Here's how you can be ready for God to come and dwell with you. You don't know. You, in your unstructured mass, you're not capable of obeying the law of God. So here's some advice. So let's listen to Exodus 18. And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, For he said, The God of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being, or their peace, And they went into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. 
Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one and another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws, and show them the way in which they must walk, and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all this people will go to their place in peace. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times, the hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would use this text to teach us the statutes and the laws, to make us know the way in which we must walk and the work we have to do. Help us to see that you are the God who delivers and the God who dwells. Thank you that you delivered Jethro and that through his advice, you prepared the people so that you could come and dwell with them. Come and dwell with us. Abide with us. Help us to listen now. Free us from distraction. Settle our hearts. Give us peace so that we can listen to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I visited Harvard University a few years ago. One of my friends who was a student there at the time. And on one of the buildings, nice big dark stone building, is engraved the words of verse 20. You shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Spencer and I were looking at that and asking each other where it was from. And I said I didn't think it was from the Bible. It didn't sound biblical to me. And I looked in my little pocket Bible on my phone, couldn't find it. But it is obviously biblical. 
may not be something Harvard does anymore, but it's something that Moses was supposed to do. But he had to hear that from his father-in-law. Moses hadn't got the people into the place, into the shape to hear the law of God. They weren't ready for that. And it was obvious to Jethro as he came and visited the camp. You're not ready for God to come and live with you. You need more structure in this mob. So Jethro becomes a believer in verses 1 through 12. And then in verses 13 through the end of the chapter, Jethro prepares God's people for God to come and dwell with them. God reveals himself here in Exodus as deliverer and dweller. And Exodus 18 shows us those same truths. God delivers Jethro. God prepares his dwelling through Jethro. So, we ended the last chapter with Amalek attacking. And the Amalekites are opposed to God's people. They come out and fight them in chapter 17. And then, as the second part of this two-panel spread, immediately after seeing Gentiles who hate God's people and want to wipe out God's people, Moses shows us a different kind of Gentile, a Midianite who comes, who hears about what God did, and then calls on God, thanks God, openly confesses his faith, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, and then worships with the people of God. He takes a burnt offering and sacrifices in verse 12. So we'll talk more about that next week, Jethro's conversion. But I want to focus on some of the highlights here of how we know God as deliverer, as seen here in the first part of chapter 18. And clearly, the biggest thing, the first thing Moses wants us to see is that God brings Gentiles to know him. The entire world is not Amalek. Everything that's not Israel is not Amalekites, hostile to the people of God, trying to wipe out the people of God. There are also sort of neutrals, like Jethro. He's not a believer at the start of the chapter, but he's friendly and he's willing to come and visit Israel. God saves outsiders. You don't have to be a Hebrew in order to confess faith in God and worship God. God saves outsiders, and God delivers his people from exile. That's the message of the names of Moses' two sons. Why do those names appear here in this chapter? Because they contribute to the theme of God as deliverer. Quite literally, with the second son, the name of the other was Eliezer. Eli, my God, Azer, help. God is my help, or my God is help. And Moses names his second son, God is my help. And then he uses this word deliverance. The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. First part of Exodus is about deliverance. And the name of Moses' second son says deliverance. God saved me from Pharaoh's sword when Pharaoh tried to kill me. The name of Moses' first son talks about God's deliverance in a different way. Calvin comments how this name must have been a bone of contention. 
The name of the first son is Gershom. Ger, stranger, Sham, there. What is Moses names his son stranger there? Now, why is that offensive to Zipporah's family? Well, Moses is born in Egypt, grows up in Egypt as an Egyptian, gets in trouble with the law, flees. Remember, Egypt is there at the top of Africa. He flees toward Asia, across the Sinai Peninsula, and into what is today Jordan. That's the territory of the Midianites. Moses is all the way over in Jordan. He's not a native of Midian. He's never going to be a Midianite, no matter how long he lives there. But he marries a Midianite girl, and their first son he names Stranger There. Zipporah's family is probably saying, this kid is not a stranger here. He's an eighth-generation Midianite. What are you talking about, Moses? What is Moses saying? Moses is saying, no, this world is not my home. Egypt wasn't my home. I didn't belong in Pharaoh's palace. Midian is not my home. I don't belong out here with you desert wanderers. Little did Moses know that the last 40 years of his life, he would still have no home and be out wandering through the desert in a tent. He names his son Stranger There because that's Moses' life, a life of exile. He's allowed to live with his own people in their own home for the first three months of his life. And after that, he's in exile. But God delivers him even through exile, as the name of the second son makes clear. Stranger in a strange land, that's my identity. I have no home. I'm homeless. Wandering about in sheepskins and goatskins, deserts, caves of the earth, that's Moses. And he doesn't care what impression it makes on the in-laws when he names his son Stranger in a Strange Land. Because he's making these theological points that no earthly place is the Christian's forever home. We don't belong in Gillette forever and ever or in any other place. Most of us have moved around a decent amount in our life, seen a lot of places, lived a lot of places. That's normal for the believer. Even if you live in the same place your whole life. Because our ultimate home is not any square of earth. It's in heaven. So Moses emphasizes God delivers from exile. God provides a home. That home is a heavenly city, a city that's to come. God brings his people out from the sword of Pharaoh. Egyptian texts talk about the sword of Pharaoh. They praise the sword of Pharaoh as mighty. Moses says... God is mightier. God delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So Jethro comes and Moses tells him, verse 8, all that the Lord had done to the Egyptians, all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh, for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way, so the complaining about water and food, the attack from Amalek, Moses had a lot to tell. Well, sorry, Grandpa, I know I haven't haven't written very much, but few things have happened since we last spoke. And what was the theme of everything Moses said? Not, 
how rotten the Israelites were after all. Not how it's a good thing I left Zipporah with you because I wouldn't want her to have to go through this. No, everything Moses said came back to this. How the Lord had delivered them. There it is. The theme again stated in so many words as it was in the name of Eliezer. Here it is again. God delivers. And that's amazing. God rescues us from slavery, not just in earthly terms, but also in spiritual terms. Slavery to sin. Slavery to that hard and bitter taskmaster that forces us, that wants to force us, to do evil, to keep sinning, to give in to our besetting sins, whatever they are. Sin is that tyrant. God delivers as he did Israel. Now, if you're still struggling with your besetting sins, as we all are, don't say, I don't think God is a deliverer after all. He waited 400 years to deliver Israel. If you haven't waited 400 years, don't decide that God is not a deliverer. But seek His deliverance. He won't deliver some of us completely until heaven. Know that deliverance is His gift, and it's within His power. God is deliverer. You may not have named any of your children Eliezer, but it's still true. God is my help. So God delivers, but God also dwells. So when God comes to dwell, it produces obedience and it produces worship. And that will be the theme of the next part of Exodus. Obedience is chapters 20 to 24, the Ten Commandments, and all the other laws that God gives. And we'll spend quite a bit of time looking at those. As God says, here's how to obey me in everyday life. When God delivers, you start to obey him. And when God delivers and comes and lives with you, you also worship him. And that's Exodus 25 through 40. All the instructions for the tabernacle, for the clothing, for the priests, for the sacrifices. Obedience and worship. They appear here in the opposite order. As Jethro worships first, then obeys. But it's, or gives judges who say, here's the law, obey it. But it's the same two categories, obedience and worship. God delivers, but if God had simply brought them out of Egypt, got them across the border and then said, okay, 600,000 men on foot, You guys are free to go. Make your own way in the world. Have a nice life. It would have been a total disaster. God doesn't just deliver from, He delivers to. He delivers from Egypt to the promised land, and that's what the rest of the chapter is about. Worship, as He brings joy to His people. Jethro rejoiced for all the good things which the Lord had done for Israel. You and I are called to joy in the work of God who delivers. Think about Jethro. You know, from his perspective, he first meets Moses. Moses is a fugitive from Egypt. Now he meets Moses again, 40 years later, after Moses had worked for him for decades. Moses is a fugitive from Egypt with 600,000 other fugitives along with him. As Jethro approached the camp, right, he's probably shaking his head saying, What in the world did Zipporah marry into? These people are nuts. But he rejoiced. 
Because he had known for decades that Israel was suffering in Egypt, and he had known that there was nothing he could do about it. Just as we today know, yes, Christians are suffering in Arabia, in China, in India, and there's not a lot we can do about it. Jethro heard that God had delivered those people, and he rejoiced. And that's our calling, too. God brings his people out to bless his name. Jethro blessed the Lord. When we worship God, we bless him and we say, God, praise you. We praise you. We thank you. We rejoice in what you've done. We tell him how much we appreciate his saving work. That's what Jethro did. And if I listen to you all day long, would I hear lots of complaints, lots of outrage, lots of bother, lots of gossip? Or would I hear lots of gratitude, lots of praise, lots of delight, lots of joy and thankfulness? Pretty easy to tell the difference between the gratitude mode of speech and the outrage and complaining mode of speech. God brings his people to confess his greatness. That too is part of worship. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. That's what we do. When we come here, we say, God, you're better than wealth. You're better than pleasure. You're better than power. You're better than the things our age and country worship. You are the greatest of all gods. Jethro had served the gods of Midian for a lifetime. We're reminded again in verse 1. He was the priest of Midian. He worked in the religious services industry. And now... He must be you know, at least 50, 60 years old. Probably at least 60 with the age of Moses and how old Zipporah must have been and so on. And here he, after all this time, gives up the gods of Midian to praise the true God. And finally, God brings his people to feast in his presence. All of these are parts of worship. Jethro brings a bowl and offers it to God. Maybe even officiates at the offering. We'll talk about that next week. What a way of saying, I worship you, God. I give my life to you. But then, the second part, the establishing of judges, you know God as he dwells with you, but only when you have the structure in which to do that. You can't know God without obedience. We understand that. The deliverance from Egypt is important, but without some kind of follow-up, without some kind of, here's what you do now that you're delivered, the whole thing would fall apart within a couple of weeks. And either they would all just wander off in the desert and die, or the strong ones would start enslaving the weak and create their own new Egypt somewhere else, or another outside power, Egypt would come and take him back, Amalek would take him back. So Jethro says, you can't wander through the desert as a mob. You have to be taught what to do. You need to know this world and your place in the world. Teach them the statutes, the laws, show them the way in which they must walk, and the work they must do. You've got to give these people daily work, and you have to give them some idea 
of the law of God so that they can obey it as they do their daily work. And so Jethro says, select from society local magistrates. And he goes down very much to the local level. Officers over tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. A judge of ten maybe wouldn't have that much work to do, but the rabbis calculated that if you really created an official for every ten Israelites and so on, there would be 78,600 newly created bureaucrats. Now, in a population of two million, if you suddenly create 80,000 government officials, you're going to see a whole lot more structure, a whole lot more regulation of every aspect of daily life. And Moses looks at who the people are, their slave mentality. They have no idea how to live free lives. They've been bossed with whips from five, six years old. Moses says, we need that. Father-in-law, you are right. Thank you for your wisdom. So God brings his people to submit to his judgments. That's what verse 26 says. They judge the people at all times. Hard cases they brought to Moses, they judged every small case themselves. Moses no longer has to try to be the boss who gives two million people their daily assignments. He's learned to delegate, and that is part of it. That's not the message of Exodus 18. You people out there need to delegate. But there is something to that. In the broader context, this story is about giving the people the structure that will allow them to receive the law and obey the law. You can't give Exodus 20 before Exodus 18 without some kind of structure in their lives, some kind of bureaucratic apparatus that gives them the foundation of daily life God's people can't keep the commands of chapters 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. And that was the crucial insight that Jethro had. When you learn to know God's will, when you learn to submit to his judgments, when you have an ordered society that gives you the breathing space to obey, Jethro concludes with this, if you do this thing and God so commands then you will be able to endure. It's good for Moses as the leader. And all this people will also go to their place in peace. You can't live in peace without order and structure. But if you have a godly order, then you can have peace. That's Jethro's parting words to Moses. And Moses listened to them. What is the place of the people? Well, obviously in one sense, Jethro is looking at all the thousands of people lined up to talk to Moses and he's saying, all these people can go back to their tents. They can go to their place. They don't have to be standing out here in the sun waiting for one guy to see 800 people a day. Not possible. But in another sense, he's talking about their heavenly place, their ultimate destination. And he's saying, if we create this order that allows them to receive God's law and obey God's law, then they can make it to heaven. Then they can go to their place in peace. I read a great definition of the common good yesterday. A common good is 
simply a good that you can't enjoy alone. And you can't enjoy an ordered society by yourself. Not possible. We all have to be living in an ordered society. No one can go off and say, well, I'm in an ordered society all by myself over here. Jethro comes, he looks at the mob, he says, God delivers, that's great. God delivers Jethro, that's wonderful. And then Jethro says, you people aren't ready to receive God's law. Put some order into this society. Create 78,600 new officials. Swear them all in. Then you'll have yourselves a people that's ready and waiting to get the Ten Commandments and the rest of the laws. Now this didn't seem like a hard text to apply. We know that God delivers. We know that God dwells. And we know that when God delivers you and dwells with you, you respond in obedience and you respond in worship. That's a sequence we can remember. God has delivered me. God dwells with me. I should worship him. I should obey him. It's key to remember that without order, without an ordered society, it becomes almost impossible to obey God. That's what we saw in Psalm 125. The scepter of wickedness will not rest on the land allotted to the righteous because then the righteous would lose it. The righteous would start to be unrighteous in a disordered society. Of course, we see that happening all around us. People who grew up Christian go off and join the broader society, grow up and say, I'm not a Christian anymore. That was stupid. That was baby games. Jethro says, no, order society rightly. And then people are in a place where they can obey God. And that doesn't mean we can fix society. It's rarely as easy as it was. Rarely do you have an unformed mass of people where you can just say a word to the leader and presto, the next day, there's a structure. That's what happened here. Listen to God, obey His statutes, and you will go to your place in peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise You for Your work delivering Jethro, And we praise you for how he went on to deliver Moses from the impossible burden of deciding every case for all the people of God. Father, we praise you that you deliver and that you dwell, and that you prepare your people so that we can hear your word, so that we can have the order and space necessary to listen to what it is that you have to say to us. Lord, we ask that you would Bless us that you would not let the scepter of wickedness rest on the land allotted to the righteous. We pray for a godly state. We know that a godly state can only come about with godly citizens. Help us to be those godly citizens. To live for Christ, to worship him, and to obey him because he delivered us and he dwells with us. We ask these things in his name. Amen.